There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. How's it going, man? Joining me, 3K. What's going on, man? I've got us live now for a secret episode of Tertia Radio. I feel so mysterious. <laughs> How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing good, man. What's been going on with Phil Ghost? How are you? Well, you know, just uh, finishing up the week's worth of analysis and uh, trying to just get everything ready for Sunday. Um, what is t- It's always like tough after... What's that? What is analysis like when you're winning? Tell me, what does that feel like, <laughs> like when your team wins lots of games? Well, it's certainly more gratifying, I'll say that. Um, this week's obviously a little been a little tougher since the Seahawks lost to the Cowboys. Um, but, you know, we've been really, like, uh, spoiled over the last couple of years in terms of being able to break down games and it's it's way it's way more fun obviously when the schemes that your coaches coaching staff puts together actually work. So uh so yeah, yeah this week was different. I don't though. know any <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Hey, fill me in on the Cowboys game before we get into any kind of preview stuff. What what happened? I mean, I've watched the game, but obviously I'm not as uh well versed in how you guys have approached things game to game this season compared to 2013. What what did you learn maybe from the game? What what con, what concerns you moving forward about having lost that? And you know where where is this team at maybe compared to where you thought it would be after what six games? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think you know the Cowboys really played well. First of all, um, you know they their offensive line is looking really really good this year, and so they kind of. Um, you know, close the game out. You know, the Seahawks actually played the run all right. You know, up into up until the point in the towards the end of the fourth quarter, but then they just got gashed really badly um, on the Cowboys' drive that put them ahead for good. So, um, you know, it's not terribly terribly concerning in the fact that the Seahawks got you know quite a bit of yards run on them, but um, because for the most part they executed pretty well, but then. You know, they just sort of had the mental breakdowns and, um, you know, just got beat up front a couple times by the by the Cowboys. But, you know, they've been doing that to pretty much everybody this year. So it's not like, sure. you know, I'm not freaking out about that in, 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 by any means. And then in terms of, you know, the pass defense hasn't been quite as good as it was last year. Well, I mean, that that's probably that – we, we probably could have, you know, assumed that just considering the Seahawks were historically good against the pass last year. Um 
you know, it's just haven't been as many big plays. They've dropped probably five or six interceptions that, you know, they would have caught last year or they did catch last year, I guess. Um, and, you know, they're just not making the turnover impact that they had last year, um, which was a huge part of the Seahawks' success. So um, I think overall, you know, the, the the pieces are still there. The talent is still there. It's just kind of like putting it all together, and the Seahawks haven't really been able to, like I've been saying, like fire on all cylinders um, in any game really this year yet. So, um, you know, there's a little concern over the Seahawks' lack of, you know, execution and, and they've been sloppy the last couple of games in terms of penalties and all that. So I think those are the main concerns, less so than maybe the talent. You know, there's still a lot of talent on this team. They just kind of got to put it all together. Yeah, and, you know, I watched the game, and I think one of the things that struck me, and I know this can't be the plan simply because the season stats for you guys wouldn't bear out, but obviously you guys have been a relatively balanced team. you pass it about as much as you've run it uh, so far through the entirety of the 2014 season, but against the Cowboys, you guys threw the ball 28 times, and Marshawn Lynch only got 10 carries. Do you, was that an yeah. issue? Do you think that was taking advantage of something, or was it just the way things worked out? It, it just seemed weird that you know Marshawn Lynch averaged more than six yards a carry, uh, which, yeah. which is phenomenal, but he only gets 10 carries. What, what was your you know thoughts on the, how, it, how the rushing yeah. game matched up to the passing game? Yeah, that's been like the main, you know, gripe for pretty much everybody this week is that, you know, Marshawn Lynch only got 10 carries. He only had two carries in the first half. Um, So, you know, that's pretty much been what people have talked about this week in terms of why that happened and and sort of, you know, what was going on there. I think I'll, I'll, you know, give Daryl Bevel the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, play calling is definitely like – you know, an art more than a science. And, um, you know, you have to get first downs in order to sort of get your offense into a rhythm and continue to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. You know, you can't just follow a, you know, formula necessarily on every drive. So on one hand, I kind of understand how, you know, they just couldn't get their offense into a rhythm. They couldn't get into doing what they wanted to do on offense. But at the other, on the other hand, they had, you know, four drives in the first half and only handing off to Lynch once, that's just kind of inexcusable. So I think, you know, he kind of owned up to that and and admitted that he, you know, screwed up and didn't give the ball to Lynch enough. I guess their, um, their game plan was to try and get the ball out to Percy Harvin early on the edge and sort of um, make the Cowboys, you know, play it that way, commit to that, and then sort of soften up the inside of the field for Lynch. But, um on those Percy Harvin plays, they didn't really get um, the blocking that they wanted or needed, and so none of those plays really ended up working out and kind of put them into a situation where they're having a lot of third and longs instead of, you know, staying on schedule and trying to get into like a third and three, third and four. So um, if you look at the Seahawks' um, third down situations in this game, I want to say like the – we just wrote about this actually, the median – or the mean uh, – the median – for third downs was something like third and six or seven or eight or something like that. So they just kept getting into third and long situations. It didn't really allow them to get into what they wanted to do on offense. And, you know, so now this week we've been dealing with, you know, a disgruntled Marshawn Lynch, the prospect of a disgruntled Marshawn Lynch and people calling for Daryl Bevel's job and all this stuff. So I think, uh, you know, if anything, hopefully the, uh, you guys are going to get a good dose of Marshawn Lynch this week, and whether it's working or not. Yeah, I think that's something I'm interested to see because, uh, you know, a lot of people look at 
the numbers and the fact that the Rams are 26 in opponent rushing yards per game, I think that's really inflated for two reasons. Number one, yeah, that Corderell Patterson 67-yard run, which, you know, really mm-hmm. isn't a design. It's not a running play as much as it is almost, you know, a, a, a kind of third category play that's not a run. It's not a traditional right. pass. It's, you know, something different. That kind of affects the stats. And then, obviously, the third one would be the game that we had against Bobby Rainey and Tampa Bay in week two where the Rams were really focused on limiting the pass and letting them kind of get what they could through the run, and he ended up getting 144 yards, but the Tampa offense never really got it together, and that's the one win the Rams had. You look at all the other running backs we faced this year, Adrian Peterson, DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, Rams have done a great job uh, against all of them. They did it again uh, against Frank Gore on Monday Night Football. So I'm interested to see if that's the case, if you guys really lean more heavily on Marshawn this this week, if uh, the Rams can get it done again uh, against a premier running back. I think the concern is not so much the running game, it's that the Rams have had so many problems in execution in pass defense, and it's just boneheaded stuff that decent teams don't do. You don't forget to cover Des Bryant or you don't forget to cover <laughs> Jeremy Macklin or it's 14 seconds to go till halftime, maybe you want to make sure that Brandon Lloyd doesn't have one-on-one coverage because if Janoris <laughs> Jenkins messes it up, he's going to be wide open. These are the things that decent teams do. You guys obviously are coming off the Super Bowl. How, how often, because you mentioned penalties. Obviously, that's a big deal for the Rams and the misexecution, the youngest team in the NFL. A lot of the things that the Rams are going through aren't related to the actual talent. It's just related to this mix, mis-execution and focus and kind of mental errors. Give me an idea as a Super Bowl winning team. How many of those do you pick up on as a fan throughout the game where you're like, you know, this is just sloppy. They need to get this right. It, you know, the Rams get so many of them. I wonder, is it possible to still overcome a big number of those and be successful? Or do you guys play really clean football where the mistakes are really just, you know, not necessarily execution or messing up. It's just talent level. And sometimes, you know, the play calling happens to happen at the right time. Like what you said about Percy Hart. Yeah, you know the the Seahawks last year they actually led the NFL in in penalties. So you know you can, I guess you know I don't know what the correlation is between penalties and success in terms of win and wins and losses. But the Seahawks sort of you know prove that you know you can still get a lot of penalties and win the game. Um, this well, season they started out pro- pretty. Danny, don't, don't get too comfortable <laughs> about your penalty championship. We're on our way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the Seahawks actually started out pretty strong in, in the penalty department. Um, the first couple of games, they did pretty well, and they were they played pretty clean. You know, the penalties were few and far between, and they weren't overly, you know, concerning in terms of they just you know, you're going to get penalties. They happen, but nothing was like egregious. But um, over the last two games. I think they got 13 penalties against the Redskins, and I think if you saw that game, three of those uh, brought back touchdowns by Percy Harvin. Um, so that was extremely frustrating. And then they had they ended up getting 13 penalties in that game, and and you know it was just ugly, like pre-snap stuff, like false starts and crazy. You know, a couple of them were sort of questionable calls, obviously, but just stuff that they can definitely clean up and and it's more just like uh discipline type things and then um against the uh, Cowboys they had nine penalties I believe and um again it was you know a couple of false starts that were you know especially in those third down situations where you have a third and four third and five third and six and then you get a false start and it backs you up and it just pretty much blows your whole drive um those are the kind of things that we've been seeing over the last couple of games and so it's just been really frustrating um in terms of, you know, 
is it like execution? Is it talent? I think, you know, it's mostly just execution for the Seahawks. I think, um, you know, they have a young team as well. I think the Rams are the youngest team in the NFL. I want to say the Seahawks are maybe like third or fourth youngest team. Um, so, you know, some of it you can attribute to guys just being not very disciplined yet at this point in their careers. And, and Pete Carroll is just willing to live with that. But um, part of it is, you know, they've had some injuries. Like the Seahawks this last week lost their starting center, Max Unger. So they had to start a, you know, a young guy in Steven Schilling. And I guess his sort of uh, ability to do this, the snap count and everything kind of screwed some things up on the offensive line. And they got a couple of false start penalties because of that, which is just frustrating at home because, you know, the Seahawks, uh, you know, they pride themselves on being able to uh, force false starts on the opposing team. But when you have uh, a quiet stadium in theory, you shouldn't be getting those kind of false starts on offense. So um, overall, you know, I think the last two weeks have been concerning. So that'll be one thing that a lot of people are looking at this week in terms of hopefully the Seahawks can clean that part of the game up. Moving forward as we turn our eyes to this Sunday, let's start with the injury report. Do you want do you have any comment about Luke Wilson's groint? <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what that injury entails, but it sounds extremely painful. Um they the same, the same I, I, media department has some interesting inside information, so. <laughs> oh, is that did that come out of St. Louis then? It certainly did. It's, it's, hey, yeah, you guys aren't going to sneak anything past us. We're watching your groins all day, every day. Right? <laughs> is it and is it any way related to a Gronk? I, I you know, I haven't been able to put know. that together. I, I haven't gotten a response on what a groin actually is, but I guess it's uh, <laughs> serious enough to hold you out of practice. I did see uh, who's the rookie defensive end that broke his foot. Uh, that would Mark be Cassius Knight. Marsh. Yeah. He uh, he had been actually logging quite a few snaps thus far. Um, not like a ton, but, you know, he's a ro- rotational guy on the defensive line. Um, so that's, you know, a bit of a hit for the Seahawks. But um, they have a couple of younger guys, too, or youngish guys that can kind of fill in for that. Um, Craig Scruggs is one of them. He hasn't been active yet this season. Um, but he's he's got some experience in the Seahawks system. He's, he's been around for a couple of years now. So uh, he should be a, you know, good good choice to sort of fill in for that um and, and then the Seahawks actually kind of have a lengthy uh injury uh report right now and they're going to be missing starting tight end Zach Miller again he's out with a uh foot injury he had a surgery on his ankle I, I believe and then Bobby Wagner has turf toe so he's going to miss the game and starting center Max Unger is going to miss the game as well so uh they're kind of banged up and then you know Luke Wilson with a groint injury uh not really sure exactly what his status will be if he'll he'll be able to play, but the Seahawks could be really shorthanded on at the tight end spot, so that'll be something to sort of watch as we go into this. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it for the major injuries, unless I'm forgetting someone. Um, let me think. Yeah, I think that's it. Well, let, let me ask you this. You know, obviously you guys have had the whole week to deal with the loss of the Cowboys. What, what do you want to see from the Seahawks on Sunday? Honestly, like the biggest thing for me is just a little cleaner execution. Um, you know, people rightfully so complained about the play calling this past week, but when you go back and sort of watch the plays that actually did get called, you know, they just were bungling things like really easy fundamental stuff, just like blocking the guy in front of you uh, types of things. And um, 
So for me, it's just going to be, you know, cleaning up that execution, making the blocks where you need to make the blocks. And I think if that's, if that happens, this offense is going to look a lot more explosive, a lot more dangerous, and it'll kind of, you know, push people back or take people back off the ledge a little bit because, you know, people are starting to worry around here that this team is just not as good as it was last year, which, you know, could be the case, probably is the case in terms of they're not quite as deep. But um, I still think that they have the potential to be a better team overall just because of the development of some of their, you know, key skill position guys like Russell Wilson and, and getting Percy Harvin sort of figured out in terms of what they want him to be in this offense and, and getting Marshawn Lynch going. And, you know, I think overall they just, they have the potential to be a better team. They're just not really, you know, they just haven't put it together quite yet. Good stuff. Hey, before I'm, I'm going to give you the floor in case you want to ask any questions, but since this is officially an episode of Turcho radio, we got to do the mid podcast <laughs> hit, uh, talking to Danny Kelly, Manager of field goals. Everybody should know Danny by now. How long? How long have we been doing this, Danny? It feels like we've been doing this for like twenty years. How, how long is? <laughs> I think this is, is my year? third or fourth season. What's that? Wow, I thought it. How long is a blog year in human years? It's like a dog year kind of thing. <laughs> I don't think it counts as normal years. Yeah, seriously, seriously, it takes years off your life. Well, yeah, it's true. And obviously the Twitter handles at field goals. You've got an easy one to remember. Let, let, go ahead. Yeah, I'll give you the floor. You can ask me any questions if you want to uh, get any inside information for if you're going to send us ahead to the Seahawks faithful. Yeah, my main question, you know, just involves, you know, two main things, I guess. First of all, just, uh, you know, what your thoughts on, on uh, your your quarterback there, Austin Davis, in, in terms of his potential long-term, his potential – this season like is he kind of see a filler guy or did you see him more as a long-term answer at that position yeah i think the best thing and as high as rams fans are in austin davis i think the best thing is that we still have 11 games to find out uh because you know he's looked certainly nobody expected him to be as good as he is there's a reason why he was so deep uh, on the quarterback depth chart in the preseason and the fact that he was still a backup to sean hill going into week one um, the level of expectations was so low that his performances, as good as they've been, have been, uh, what's the right word, just ridiculously uh, unexpected. Um, and, and the numbers <laughs> yeah. are great. I think the the comparison that I've heard a couple times that John Gruden actually used on Monday Night Football that seems to be pretty appropriate is Drew Brees, right? He's not a guy that's mm-hmm. incredibly athletic. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a huge body to, you know, like a Dante Culpepper type or Jamarcus that can put some punishment when he's scrambling for a couple yards, doesn't have a powerful arm, and then gets exposed sometimes. But what he does do is he treats the entire field equally, right? you got a lot of quarterbacks that like to maintain their eye level on their throwing arm side of the field. That's not Austin Davis. He'll go right to left. He'll work intermediate and deep and short. He's not clued in on, you know, one or two of his best receivers. He's really open to using the entirety of his receiving core. So he's one of these guys mm-hmm. that makes the most out of kind of the the lesser uh, exciting, you know, intangibles, um, but that have a much bigger positive effect on the overall performance than, say, Sam Bradford, who's got tons of tangibles but was never really able to put it all together uh, for more than a game, right? He, 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 Sam had yeah. plenty of good games, but he never had extended 
streaks where he was putting forth performances that took advantage of all the things defenses were giving him and the talent at his disposal, which obviously took a couple years to put together. But, you know, they're there now. The wide receiving core is better than it's probably been since the end of the greatest show on turf era. And I think Austin Davis has taken advantage of it. So he's not anybody that if you had a redraft would go in the first round. But he's somebody that obviously Rams fans are happy that they had available uh, the way that the season's going. Yeah, and and that I can totally see that sort of like a they call Russell Wilson uses this word too as like a facilitator. He just you know distributes the football to the playmakers, lets them go do their thing, kind of thing. Is that kind of how you see him? To a degree, I mean, you got to remember the Rams don't really have playmakers. The the only playmaker (laughs) they really have is supposed to be Tavon Austin, and he's only getting about one-third of the offensive snaps. And even then, he's not really making plays. He's just kind of an extra guy. So, you know, it's one of these things where if he's got, you know, 20 yards to Kenny Britt, it's 20 yards to Kenny Britt. If it's 15 yards to Brian Quick, it's 15 yards to Brian Quick. But nobody's really breaking tackles and breaking open things. It's more about, you know, kind of a boring, successful, sustained drive (laughs) with enough of the runs sprinkled in to keep defenses honest. I think the challenge moving forward is, if the Rams aren't going to figure out any kind of cohesive rushing game strategy, which has been the case, been the you know the reality so far through six weeks, uh, you know teams are going to start respecting Austin Davis more. And I think you got a sense of that against the 49ers when they started backing yeah. off and really keying in on the pass after the first two touchdown drives. There was just nothing there. They focused on coverage and said, "Look, we're going to cover down. We'll pick up a couple coverage sacks. If you want to take stuff underneath, go for it." But that's what the Rams have done for years, and it never worked. So. I think that's the big concern for Austin Davis moving forward is he's going to have to figure out new ways to succeed other than just letting defenses give him opportunities, which he took care of, but now he's going to have to make some. Yeah. I guess the other the other question I would have is, um, you know, what's the deal with your guys' defensive line? You know, it, I love the defensive line yeah, prior to the season. You know, your defensive line, huh? What's your, <laughs> your defensive line? <laughs> well, touche, touche. But uh, I, I guess, you know, just to, like, you know, they throw out that stat. The Rams are, like, the first team, I think, ever through five games that don't ha- that have only one sack. And um, with that much talent on defensive line, kind of what is – what's the issue there? Is there something that's fixable? Or is it, you know, you guys just waiting to break out more or less? And, and please say that it won't happen against the Seahawks. Yeah, I think it ha- – I, I don't know. I don't know that it's going to happen against the Seahawks. I, I'd say there's three major problems. The third, I'll just get it out of the way because it's a fan gripe, is holding. The Rams yeah. – Robert Quinn gets held so often, and it just doesn't get <laughs> – and I don't understand. I don't understand how he doesn't make a bigger deal out of it. I don't understand how the refs don't see it. I don't understand. I just don't understand, man. I just don't understand how those holding calls – because what used to happen, especially what happened last year, was – when he would get held, right, it would get called, and then the you know the tackle would have to figure out, okay, I know I'm not going to be able to protect my quarterback for five seconds. I know I'm going to get called right. for holding, and they would adjust. I mean, that's what happened. Russell Oakland got called for a holding against uh, Robert Quinn, and he dealt with it for the rest of the game and never gave up another sack. But the idea that it's not getting called just gives such a huge advantage. It's really tough as a fan to bear through that every game, but that's what's happened. Yeah. The major two issues, I would say, is number one, Teams are really using a short passing attack to get the game started, to get their quarterback in rhythm. It happened on Monday night with Colin Kaepernick. It happened against the Cowboys. 
uh, it's just one of those things that's working real well for kids, and it happened against Philadelphia, against Nick Foles uh, in between those two games. It's just it's an easy way to get your quarterback in rhythm and not have to worry about a pass, the talent that the Rams have on the line. The problem is that thereafter, and this is the kind of second part of that, is that once the, the Rams built up these leads against the Cowboys and the 49ers, the, the teams get, get a little bit more desperate, and you start saying, okay, well, we've got to do this, and they start opening up the, the playbook. The problem is when they start going deeper, the Rams just aren't getting it done. They're just not mm-hmm. winning at the point of attack, and it's weird because you can see Aaron Donald's incredibly talented. He, he's got this uncanny ability to just get right past people. Robert Quinn's still immensely talented. Michael Brockers is incredibly strong, and obviously there's talented guys in Eugene Sims and William Hayes who you know, last year picked up tons of sacks, so it's not talent. It's just not getting home. And when it starts not getting home, then defensive coordinator Greg Williams starts dialing up these blitzes to try to, you know, force uh. any kind of pressure. The problem then is either the, you know, the offense sees that a blitz is coming and has an easy release that takes advantage of a depleted, uh, you know, secondary in terms of total, uh, you know, just quantity of defenders back there, or the blitz just doesn't get home. I posted a gif earlier today from the Tampa Bay game. The Rams sent eight people and didn't get to the quarterback. And, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna run a pass defense and you've only got three defenders, you, you've got you've got to get home. You've got to get to the quarterback, and they're just struggling to get it done. They're struggling to get it done when they rush four. They're struggling to get it done when they're blitzing. And I don't, I mean, it's hard to really say why. I mean, it's just uh, maybe maybe it's the fact that, like you said, the teams know that the Rams have talent on the defensive line, so they're kind of planning for it and expecting it. It's not something that kind of surprises them the way Zach Stacy did against the Seahawks last year on Monday Night Football. This is the kind of thing teams can game plan for. And so far, yeah. the Rams just haven't had an adjustment that's getting anything right. You know, so, that it's funny. You, you, that that I, I totally know what you mean in terms of that explanation because it kind of feels similar to what the Seahawks, what, what's happening with the Seahawks, you know. Um, they the Seahawks were one of the elite teams in the, in terms of the pass pass rush last year and this season while they've been getting a good amount of pressures and and they're moving the quarterback and as Pete Carroll you know words it affecting the quarterback uh, they haven't been getting those hits they haven't hitting been hitting the quarterback getting sacks and things like that so um, and I think a lot of it a lot of like part of that sort of the reaction to that is now you see the Seahawks sort of dialing up these blitzes and it's similar to what you were saying. It's like they're trying to manufacture pressure now, whereas last year they could get it with four people or five people at the most. Um, And so now you're having situations where the Seahawks are getting gashed when they don't get home on those, on those blitzes. And so it's, it's very interesting to me how it all works in concert. I, you know, it's, it's one of the cool things about just watching defensive schemes is, you know, if you getting if your defensive backs aren't getting, uh, picks if they're not, you know, playing the ball. If they're not, you know, sort of just being those playmakers, then that affects the pass rush because, you know, the quarterback can feel more confident throwing downfield, and um, vice versa. If if your if your defensive line is getting to the quarterback really quickly, then he he has to rush the pass. It affects him, you know, and sure. that's where turnovers happen. So, it's all in concert. It, you know, you can't just point to one thing. I think, and um, yeah, I think both. I think you know the Rams and the Seahawks are kind of facing similar situations in that sense. And I think one of the things that made it so upsetting was early on in the first three games before the bye, the Rams just tried to avoid a pass rush. They had uh, Greg Williams has a package he calls his ruby formation. It's just a three-man front. 
and the Rams would only mm-hmm. rush three guys, and, and they still couldn't cover the pass. So, you know, if you're only going to rush three, you've got to close down the passing windows. They couldn't do that. If you're going to blitz eight guys, you've got to get to the quarterback. They couldn't do that. So it's one of these things where you, you've got to figure out one thing that you can do right. And I don't think the Rams have found <laughs> that yet. And I think that's disappointing because a lot of people expected the defense to be the better unit, and you could, you could make an argument that so far it's been the offense. It's a level of offense that we haven't seen in a while for the Rams. So yeah. let, me, let me do this as we get ready to wrap up, man. You, you talked about what you want to see. What, what do you expect? What, 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 or tell me this. What should Rams fans expect from the Seahawks? Yeah, I think uh, I'm all, the Seahawks always the, – the Rams always play the Seahawks tough, it feels like. Um, so I'm expecting sort of just like one of those sloggy games, you know, probably relatively low scoring, um, you know, sort of smash mouth on both sides of the ball. And, and the defense – you guys' defensive line always seems to really, you know, punish the Seahawks both on the, on, on the line and the running backs and things like that. So I'm expecting a very physical game. Um, I'm expecting – you know, uh, frankly, I'm a little bit worried that your guys' line is really going to break out against the Seahawks just because the Seahawks' offensive line is more geared towards running than it is pass protection. And, um, you know, they're just better at running. They're, they just find guys that are better, you know, run blockers versus better, you know, pass pass blockers. So I could, I could definitely see you guys, the Rams, creating some havoc for Russell Wilson, making him run around and uh, sort of, you know, freaking out Seahawks fans even more. I think, I think in general though, I think the game's going to be close and I think it's going to be, you know, a good game. Um, you know, I'm just hoping the Seahawks can figure out a way to, to run the ball and sort of get back into what they do on offense. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I see things going. What about you? You know, I don't know. The Rams, <laughs> when we got ready for Monday Night Football, Fuchs asked me, David Fuchilla asked me to give to define the Rams in a single word, and the word was inconsistent. <laughs> and obviously after Monday Night Football, I don't think that's changed at all. You know, for a team to go up 14 to nothing, to be 14 seconds from a halftime 14 to 3 lead at home, and then you give up that touchdown and things just go straight south, and yet you've got a chance. You know, the yeah. Rams – almost had a chance to get the ball and make a play for the game late. They're just one of these teams that because they can't get out of their own way, you know, despite the fact that they've got plenty of talent. Like when you look at the bad teams around the NFL, there are teams where you look at and say, well, they just don't have enough talent. They need, you know, they've got holes all over the team. That's not the case with the Rams. They've got talent, right? You know, Janoris Jenkins isn't an untalented guy. You just can't abide by some mistakes because some of those (laughs) mistakes are the ones that are going to cost points. Um, Yeah. So I think it's one of those things, and I don't know how they clean it up because you've got a head coach in Jeff Fisher and a defensive coordinator in Greg Williams who loves the over-aggressive play that sometimes is going to cost you penalties. You've got an offensive coordinator in Brian Schottenheimer who understandably has been not the Rams' favorite member of the staff in recent years, but you know the way the offense has played the last couple of weeks, it's hard for a lot of Rams fans to gripe about his performance in 2014. The fact that you know the Rams are opening it up and going deeper more often even though it's not always successful and not as successful as other teams when they're going deep, it's still something relatively new uh, for the quantity that we're getting out of those deep plays. So, you know, you look at the the aggression and the fact that there's so many penalties, they're a young team, there's just not a lot of veteran leadership. You know, I talked about Janoris Jenkins. He's mm-hmm. one of the three defensive backs who's in their third year on the team. They're the most senior guys in the secondary. 
There's a, right, wow. so there's not a lot of veteran presence across. I mean, it's the youngest team in the NFL. Obviously, it goes without saying that you know there's not yeah. a ton of veteran presence. But the kind of things that you could point to to say, well, they can get rid of some of these mental errors because they've got X, Y, and Z. They don't have that, and that's kind of the root cause of it. And if it's not changing, I don't, I don't know how they're going to figure out a, a way to straighten the ship and you know play smarter, cleaner football. I don't know that it's going to happen this year. So. I don't know. I guess if there's one thing to tell the Seahawks to expect, it's to be prepared for some zaniness. Rams football 2014, the zany train, man. It's, 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 it's difficult to stomach sometimes, but I'll admit it is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, can, well, I always think – Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, whenever you're playing an FC West game, I think I always believe just anything can happen. I just don't ever, you know, go in expecting anything to go normally. <laughs> well, you got to be kidding. You never know. Somebody could pull their groint right, in the, right at the middle of the field, 50-yard <laughs> line, get a groint pull. Uh, hey, everybody, it's Danny Kelly from Field Goals. Danny, I'm here at the Pentagon. They've shut down the parking lot because somebody threw up outside. They actually think that there's Ebola in the parking lot of oh, the Pentagon. Geez. It's an interesting day, man. It's an interesting day. Oh, no. So I wanted to thank you for taking some time to, uh, you know, go ahead and discuss football while I'm looking at our Ebola, possibly Ebola stain parking lot. Oh man, stay stay it's safe. Maybe you could uh, put the put together a uh, homemade hazmat suit. Uh, I've got a couple already. I've got I've got some interesting <laughs> hobbies that take up my time on the weekend. Hey, Danny, thanks again Good. for coming on. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Hey, everybody, that was Danny Kelly, Field Goals. Give him a follow at Field Goals. Check them out all across the weekend as we get closer to the game, F-I-E-L-D-G-U-L-L-S. You know, normally when we do Turf Show Radio, we do it at night, take some calls, but I wanted to get a podcast hit in with Danny because we have some time this week. So stay tuned for more stuff coming on the Turf Show Radio front. And as always, you know the deal. Go Rams. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron.